Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. So we are in a, in a series we started last week, and that, re, that series is called Redemption Through History. That's the name of the series, Redemption Through History. And here's what we're doing between now and Christmas every week is we are telling the big story of the Bible, the big story of God. And so we started last week at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created everything. And we are telling that story every single week all the way until we get to Christmas with the birth of Jesus. And what I told you last week is, is the story starts in this garden with this tree. And the story ends on a hill with a person nailed to a tree. And not many people know how do we get from one tree to the next. Like what is that story? And so that is the series, the story of the Bible, what we would call the redemptive story of the Bible, of God redeeming his creation. And so we're week two. Um, if you miss over these next few weeks, I would encourage you to get on our podcast and listen to him because each week we'll build on the next as we tell this big story of God. But to catch you up, God created everything. He created it perfect. He created it just like him. It's holy. It's perfect. It's beautiful. It takes about two chapters in the Bible for man to mess it up. And we looked at last week where Adam and Eve chose sin and chose to disobey God and to walk away from the blessing God had had them. And we said that that sin brought a curse on the world where God had created the world to be perfect and to run and to operate the way he has intended. That sin caused a curse. And that curse is death and destruction and disease and all the, all the hard things of life that you and I deal with are because of that decision of Adam and Eve. And it doesn't take long as you go through Genesis for that curse of sin to spread throughout humanity. As a matter of fact, Adam and Eve had two children and this is how quickly sin goes bad. One of the children kills the other one. I mean, from the beginning, this sin spreads. And eventually, if, you, if you've read through Genesis, we get a few chapters in and it gets so bad and it gets so wicked that God says, you know what? We're going to start over. And he sends a flood. And through that flood, he wipes out much of creation, spares um, one man and his family, right? And, and we've heard about Noah and the flood. Now here's a misconception. Most people think, well, Noah is this perfectly righteous guy that did everything that God wanted to do. And that's why God saved and no, God chose Noah. And Noah wasn't as big of a hero as we make him to be because as soon as he gets off the boat and gets saved, he gets drunk and naked. It's like straight out of Arkansas type thing, right? <laughs> so he's not this perfectly righteous man that has all this stuff together. God chose him and God starts over with Noah. And again, the population starts to spread and, and they have children and, children and and more children over hundreds of years. This Population grows, but again, sin has infected everything. And now you have people spreading over the earth, and they are worshiping gods. They just make up gods to worship. And that's where we find the story. So it has been 300 years since the flood. 
And from what we know, it appears that God has been silent through 300 years. So God sends a flood. He starts over knowing his family, 300 years of God being silent. Now, we don't know if there's faithful people left from Noah's family that are still worshiping God. We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us that. But here's what we know in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 12. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Now, if you're taking notes here, I would recommend you circle a phrase here. Now the Lord said. Because here's the deal. Abram was not looking for God. Abram was not worshiping God. Abram was not following God. As a matter of fact, Abram didn't even know who God was. Now, Abram was worshiping gods, little g gods. He comes from a family of idol worshipers. It's very much likely that Abram would be what we would think of as a Hindu, someone that has many gods and worships all of those different gods. Abram wasn't looking for God. God wasn't looking around the earth. You know, who is someone really good that I can start this thing with, this rescue plan? No, The Lord said to Abram, God simply chose him. It's all an act of God. And if God had not said to Abram, you and I would not be here because we wouldn't have chose God either. Humans in their natural state will make up their own gods. And they will go looking for anything they can to fulfill. On our own, we will not choose God. And that's why God said to Abram, hey, here I am. As a matter of fact, here's what the Bible tells us in in, in, uh, 2 Corinthians, that Satan blinds the hearts of people. That every one of us, that, that Satan blinds our hearts to keep us from seeing the glory of God. To keep us from choosing God. And that without some action of God that you and I would live and die with our eyes blind to the truth of who God is. But here's what 2 Corinthians also said, that while Satan blinds, God shines light into people's eyes and God reveals the glory of God. And that's why some of you were doing your thing and all of a sudden someone shares this thing called the gospel and all of a sudden it's just like, boom, something changed. And some of you came to Hill City once and you sat out there and you heard this gospel and all of a sudden a few weeks later you're like, I believe this. How? The Lord said. Because God has revealed himself to you. And so here's what we know about Abram, that he is this undeserving idolater. He has little gods. He has them everywhere. He worships those. He deserves nothing. But God says to Abram, hey, here I am. Abram is a very unlikely candidate. Here's what we know about Abram. Um, He is middle-aged. He's 75 years old. Yes, 75 years old. I just called you middle-aged, right? Because it's all in the heart, baby. It's all in the heart. 75 years old. He's prosperous. He has... A lot of stuff. He has servants. He's a prosperous man. He is settled. He is successfully settled. And to this man, 
successful businessman, God says, um, hey, you go. Leave your house. Leave your culture, leave your family, leave your stuff. And he says, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Abram, here's the deal. I'm going to do something in you. I have chosen you, Abraham. I'm going to do something to fix this sin problem, to fix this broken world. And Abram's going to start with you, but here's the deal. You must go. You must leave. And I know you're successful. I know you have a lot. You have your family, you have your culture, but you are going to leave it behind. And there are many of us that are successfully settled that the Lord would say to us, go. Now, I'm not saying necessarily you have to go to Africa. Maybe you do. But the Lord would call us out of what we know if you were here last week, we interviewed Michael Robinson, who's one of our new pastors, successfully settled in the business world. And God said, uh, hey, Michael, <laughs> no. A common theme of our pastors is all of us in one point in our life said the following phrase, quote, the one thing I will not do is work at a church. So he says, go from your family, your kindred, your father's house, and I'm going to show you a land. Notice he doesn't even tell them where to go. He just says, go. Pick up what you're doing, and you're going to do something else. And here's the deal, Abram. You won't be coming back. I love reading um, biographies of some of the missionaries from like the 1700s, 1800s, and it's a crazy thing when God called them to go um, many of them barely even knew the name of the country or, or what it looked like because you can't hop on a plane and go there. And there's all these stories of like their family coming down to the boats, to the, to the shipyards as these young missionaries would go to go to a distant land. And here's what their family knew in taking their children uh, and their, their um, young couples to this boat is we will never see them again. And there's these beautiful stories of them sailing out and their families kind of watching them disappear in the fog knowing they're gone. And that's the call of Abram. Leave everything. So this seemingly like insignificant man, this little dude called Abram 4,000 years ago, receives this kind of seemingly insignificant call to move. But these words... Go, leave your home. These will change the course of human history. And you and I are here today because God said to Abram, you go. Here's what he says to him, verse two. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God gives him this promise. He says, Abram, you're going to go to a land that I will show you. And as you go, here's what's going to happen. I will make you into a great nation. And out of this nation, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. And these words are, are not insignificant. They are far 
reaching. And here's the deal. These words have incredible implications for your life 4,000 years later. Because when God says to Abraham, you go, or Abram at this point, you go and I will make you into a great nation. Here's what he's saying. Abram, you will have offspring. By the way, he doesn't yet. He has no children. You will have offspring. And of this offspring will come a great nation that will become Israel. And out of this nation will come someone that will bless everyone, that will fix this sin problem. That is the promise. So he says, you're going to have this nation, and I'm going to have this special relationship with these people, and out of this special relationship will come someone that will cause me to have a special relationship with people from all nations. Here's what Galatians 3.29 says. If you are in Christ, Christians, you are Abram's, Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. See, when he says to Abraham, you're going to have a son who will have a great nation who will bless the entire world. That's us. So when God says these words to Abraham, he is making available to any of us to become children of God and children of this promise. And so what we'll find, and we'll say it a lot as we go through this Bible, this isn't a story about Abraham, it's a story about God who uses Abraham to produce this nation of Israel to bring Jesus. And then here's the cool thing. He now invites us into his story. See, the Bible's not God's little love letter to you. It's a story about God that he invites you into. And he gives Abram a very specific promise. And actually, if you want to flip over real quick to Genesis 17, he goes into a little more detail here on this promise. Here's what it says. When Abram was 99 years old, still a little middle-aged man, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, he's going to clarify this promise a little bit. I'm God Almighty, Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make a covenant, might circle that word covenant, between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. So he changes his name. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Remember, he doesn't have a son yet. And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. You might circle that too. That'll come important in a few weeks. And I will establish my covenant between me and your offspring and after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give you, give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojourners and all the lands of Canaan for everlasting possession. And I will be their God. So God delivers this promise to Abram, and over the course of in Genesis, he, he clarifies this promise several times to Abram. But here's the promise. Abram, you go to a land I will show you, and you will become a great nation, and out of this nation, all of the world will be blessed. And we don't just call this a promise. We call this a covenant. A covenant is this binding agreement. A covenant literally means to bind or to fetter, to chain to something. And here are the promises that God gives Abraham. Three promises. You will be prosperous and have land. 
you will have a son that will turn into a nation, and out of this nation will come someone that will bless the world. Three promises. Land, son, and nation, and blessing to the world. And this covenant is not based on what Abram will do, or Abraham now, but on what God will do. One of the things we hear a lot here is we're talking to people and we're challenging people and we have a lot of people that come um, here that have never been to church and we hear things like, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not good enough. God can never use me. Like this is just, it's just who I am, just the way I am. And here's what I'd tell you. On one hand, you're right. But on this other hand, by faith, when God saves you, he also changes your name and says your identity is no longer just you. Your identity is actually Jesus. And this Jesus that now lives inside of you is working through you to accomplish all things. So yeah, you can't, but God can. And if you look at these promises, here's what God says. He doesn't say, hey, Abram, you will do this, you will do this, you will do this. Here's what he says. I will make you a great nation. God says, I will bless you. I will make your name great. I will make you a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. I will bless all the families of the earth. Notice these promises are not made with conditions. Abram, do all these things. No, God says, Abram, as a matter of fact, you're going to mess it up. You're going to see his story. He's going to mess it up a lot. But God is going to use messed up Abraham to bless the entire world because this whole thing is built on who God is, not on who Abraham is. God is pledging to uphold his covenant, and Abraham's going to do everything he can to try to mess it up. But God will be faithful. Listen to me, guys. The Bible is not a, good, a book about good men, good heroes. It's a book about wicked men who God chooses to use because God is faithful. And your story is not a story about a good person that cleaned themselves up and got to God. Your story is about a person who on, this, on their own would never choose God, who God says, I will change your name. And I will call you my son. I will call you my daughter. And I will take care of you. And I will use you. It's not built on us. One of the, the biggest lies of American Christianity is I must clean myself up to get to God. Bull. God comes to you. So don't ever sit out there and think, well, I'm too far gone. And you hear stories of life change. In a few weeks, we're going to baptize a bunch of people up here, and we're going to celebrate. And some of you are going to sit out there and say, well, that's great for them. But God can never do that. Bull. Because Abraham's about as faulty as it gets. And he's the father of a great nation. And many of you in Bible school learn a little song. Father Abraham had many sons, right? So God chooses this undeserving sinner. And he says, from you, undeserving sinner, I'm going to bless the entire world. Hill City, if you're an undeserving sinner, you're a great candidate to receive God's promise. Now, if you kind of got your life together, you're probably not a very good candidate for the promise because you don't really need God. Matter of fact, Jesus said, I came for the sick, not the healthy. 
Healthy don't need a doctor. I came for those that know they need something. Is that you? You're a great candidate for the promise. So God said, I will because Abraham can't. It's all grace. And here's the deal, guys. Grace is scandalous. Like there's some of you out there like, ah, Hood, I don't know, man. You better be careful. You're telling people it's all about what God does and God's the one acting like, man, be careful because then they'll just like, you know, come on, you got to preach what they do. You got to tell them to act up, act holy, act this. Wrong order. Grace, God acts, God changes. And if you're here and this gospel-centered grace thing kind of rubs you the wrong way, there's lots of other churches you can go to because I ain't changing Back to Genesis 12, verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife. Her name will be changed to Sarah. And Lot, his brother's son, and all the possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. So Abram went, and his going, his leaving, would start a chain of reactions that would lead to you being here this morning. And I love the Bible, and as I read these stories, I always want to try to bring myself into them. And, and men, can we think about something? What was this conversation like with Sarai, his wife? Um, honey, I got to talk to you about something. So uh, God told me, to which she says, uh, which God? Well, okay, see, there's this God that says he created everything. And he told me I'm supposed to go to a land. Go, go where? Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, but he just told me to go. Um, Sarah said, well, okay, how are we getting there? Uh, walking? I'm just picturing this conversation. I mean, maybe your wife's really understanding. But at some level, she's got to be thinking, dude, you're crazy. And we don't get to hear. I wish, I wish we had the, the full story. I wish we got the drama in that whole conversation. We don't get it, so I'm just speculating. But Abram went. Hill City, you're called. We finish every single gathering with these words, be with people as sent people because when God changes he sins see God didn't change Abram and say I'm going to change your name and bless your family and all that so just stay there and build a nice little big house and have your little family reunions every time and just be blessed no he says I will bless you go And the call of God that we will never back away from is God calling every single one of us to go. And it may not be Africa, it may not be Europe, but you are sent. We are called to go. We're called to leave our life of complacency. We're called to leave our life of comfort. We're called to leave, walk away from the American dream and to go because the response of worship is life change. And when life change happens, people are sent. They go. It's all throughout the Bible. The book of Isaiah. Isaiah sees God. 
and we get this great phrase where he sees God and he says, oh, I've seen God and he falls down and he thinks God's going to kill him. And God comes and he, and he changes him and, the, his, uh, and Isaiah's immediate response is, hey, uh, you can send me, I'll go. In the New Testament, every time, every single time the believers were filled with the Spirit and this gift of the Spirit came on, it wasn't so they could have a cool worship service and have lights and fog and say, oh, that was cool, God showed up today, the Spirit's here. No, every time the Spirit came on, you know what they did? They went and they shared and people got saved. As God changes, God sins. And let's not, let's not look past the faith that this would require. Abraham picks up everything and he moves. Here's what Hebrews says, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament about Abraham. This is verse 11. He says, by faith, Abraham obeyed. He didn't have all the answers. He obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. But by faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And verse 5 keeps going and says, when they came, they came to this land of Canaan. So they left their home. They go to this foreign land. Now remember, we just got done with judges if you were here during the summer. This is the ancient world. It's not like they pick up, they hop in their car, and they drive a nice little interstate to get to some place they're going. They walked through hostile territory. This is the time. This is before the Ten Commandments. Here's the, here is the, uh, the belief in those ancient days. Kill or be killed. Like this is hostile land he's going to. This is enemy territory he's going into, but it says he goes. In verse seven, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. You've arrived here now. And by the way, you're gonna have this land, your offspring will. So he built an altar to the Lord who appeared to him. I love that idea of to your offspring. So the effect of Abraham going impacts generations to come, including 4,000 years later. Hill City, how could your going impact generations? How could God use your little insignificant life, which the Bible said it's like a vapor. How could God use your little life to impact generations. Because I believe this call of Abraham and the call of God is a bigger call than, hey, Abraham, have a nice home, have a nice car, have a nice boat, have a nice family, have a nice retirement, and have a nice little home in heaven when you die. It's a bigger call than that. It's Abraham, leave and go and be faithful and obey because I will bless generations through you. Hill City, what could God do with your life? I'm a school teacher a few years ago, gosh, yeah, 15 years ago. And I'm in a public school and I'm working with the youth in the church in that same little town. And the youth group started to grow and I'm pouring these kids' life. And one day someone comes to me at school and uh, a peer and, uh, and says to me, Hey, uh, Daniel, you better be careful. 
because you're a school teacher and you're working with all these kids in the church, you just better be careful about that because people are starting to talk. And I remember that conversation like yesterday. I walk in the lunchroom, I get my little little cheap $1.50 plate of spaghetti that they give you at the cafeteria. And I'm processing this conversation. I'm walking, and like it was yesterday, I remember that, and all of a sudden, I'm thinking of all these kids that I'm pouring into at church. Their faces are just running through my mind. And I'm thinking about these faces that I was told of this opposition against me. And here's what I said to myself. Satan, bring it. I don't care. What are they going to do? Fire me? I make like $30,000 a year. Big deal. And it was like right there that I kind of made the decision, I'm not going back because there's a bigger call for my life. You know, a real popular thing right now is uh, people talk about leaving a small carbon footprint, right, and recycling and and driving um, cars at low emissions. And I ride my bike a lot to church or to to work during the week. And we talk about a, a small footprint, which is great. But here's the deal. Christians have kind of bought into this little small footprint when it comes to faith. And somehow the Christian life got communicated. Go to church and hide from the world and don't sin. May I invite you to a bigger call than that? The call to impact generations. Like, here's the deal, guys. I'm not perfect. I'm as flawed as they come. But until I die... I will give my life to impacting generations to come. And I will fight for young men that I get to pour into every week in the football team. I'll fight for them to be great dads and great husbands and great fathers. I'll fight for them. And I'm going to keep fighting because there's this bigger call than living a nice moral life and not sinning. And God is inviting us into it. He's inviting us to get into the game and impact generations. There's a great guy named C.T. Studd, which I love his name. I mean, C.T. Studd, he's a theologian. Here's what he said, I love it. My prayer is that when I die, all of hell will have a party to celebrate the fact that I'm no longer in the fight. And God invites you into that. Like Christians, we've become too nice and comfortable. We got to get a little sass to us and say, hey, uh, evil, I'm not going to live in my nice little house with my nice little family and just come to church. And no, bring it on. Let's go fight this thing. Jesus says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Well, here's the deal. Uh, the gates are not offensive, they're defensive. That means it's not like Christians need to keep hell from coming against them. No, here's what it means. Uh, we're going to go crash through the gates of hell. Like We're going to push that thing back. God invites you into a bigger call for your life. We have new believers everywhere that have just placed their faith in Christ. How will God use this decision that you've made to impact generations? Some of your family heritage will change because God has changed you. Verse 8, from there, he moved to the hill country of the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel in the west and Ai in the east And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abraham journeyed on, still going towards the Negev. 
So he builds this offer, or this altar to God. It's public. Now, again, let's remember the times. This is enemy Canaan territory. They have gods everywhere. And he builds this big altar to God and says, hey, I am here because God has sent me. The God has sent me. And he has this public act of obedience. Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and so Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Now it would be easy to skip over this, but did you see what happened? God calls him. Abraham, go. I have this great thing for you to do. And he gets there, and what happens when he gets there? There's a famine in the land. Now if you're Abraham, what are you thinking? God, where are you? Right? I've just obeyed, I've just left everything because you told me you had this great promise and I finally get here and I'm like, all right, let's do this thing. And then uh, famine? One of the mistakes we make is that we believe that God's call comes with ease. <laughs> no. And he's arrived and there's this famine and so he's got to, he's got to go somewhere else to try to get food. But God promises, he has this promise, he's going to be faithful. In verse 11, this is where we see the kind of real um, flawed Abram. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, now remember, she's like in her 70s here. I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, and then they will kill me. Remember, this is kill or be killed, Period. So say you are my sister, that it may go well with uh, me because of you and that my life may be spared for your sake. Again, man, can you imagine that conversation? We're going to go in this land and uh, honey, uh, let's not call each other man and wife. Matter of fact, you're just going to be my sister because it might not go well for me if they know you're my wife. Verse 14, when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, ox, male, donkeys, male servants, male or female servants, female donkeys, and camel. This is what I love about the Bible. It's really honest. This great man of faith, Abraham, has just pimped out his wife to save his own skin. And she, he sends her into Pharaoh's house to be one of Pharaoh's women. This great man of faith acts like a coward and is led by fear. This man has just turned to self-reliance. Remember, God says, I have this promise for you. You're going to have a son, which means you have to have a wife. But Abraham he doubts God. And so he's like, I got to take this in my own hands. Like, I know God has made this promise for me, but I've got to fix this thing. God might follow through, so I'm going to take things into my own hands. And we're going to see next week this same fear of not trusting God is going to plague Abram for many years to come. And God's going to deal with that. That's a cool story we'll look at next week. So it says, so Pharaoh took Abram or took her into his house. And here's the deal. Ab did you catch this? Abram gets rich off this. He gets servants, he gets animals, he gets possessions by giving his wife to Pharaoh. Um, 
I took, for several years, we take mission trips to Africa, to these little remote villages. And that feels like you're in the ancient world. And a little, a little Muslim tribe in the middle of Africa. And every, I'd take groups of college students, there'd be six or seven of us, about half, half girls, half guys. And every single time, without fail, the tribal leaders would come to me um, wanting me to give them one of these girls as a bride. And they were serious. They were very serious. Every time. And so they would come to me and they would offer, you know, through translator, they would offer don you know, donkeys or, or goats or whatever. Now, here's the deal. If you know me, um, when we go to Africa, we eat peanut sauce every day and rice. We eat peanut sauce, just think the natural peanut butter with a little water mixed up on top of rice. It's, it's not good. And we eat that every single day, every meal. And after about day four, a goat's looking pretty stinking good to me because I like protein. And so these guys would come to me like, you know, I've got three goats and a donkey. And I'm thinking, dude, I haven't had meat in a week. <laughs> and, and one of the girls one time, I, I, I always teasing her. I was like, hey, if they throw in a chicken, like this deal is done because I am hungry right now. Right? But no, they, like this is common in those days. Like you would offer, offer things for a, a bride and that's what the king does. And it appears Abraham is in danger of kind of messing up God's promise. Verse 17, again, if you're circling something, but the Lord, God's going to act. This is God's promise. It's not Abraham's promise. It's God being faithful. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this you have done? That's a fair question. Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you not say she, or why did you say she's my sister? So I took her for my wife. Now then, here is your wife back. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and he sent them away with his wife, all that he had. So even through Abram's unbelief, God was faithful. And let's jump over to Genesis 15 as we start to wrap this up. And after these things, after all this drama has taken place, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. And notice what he says. Fear not, Abram. Like, quit being afraid of other men. Quit being afraid that I won't come through. Abram, fear not. I am your shield. Abram, you're not your own shield. Your little plans and your schemes, they're not your shield. I am your shield. Your reward shall be great. But Abram said, God, what will you give me? I, have, I don't have a child. I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Like, God, you've said I'm going to have this nation, but I don't have a son. And, and God's like, fear not. Verse 3, and Abraham is sold. Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my house will be my heir. Here's the deal. Abram still doesn't get it. He's looking at the outside He's looking at the physical of what he can see right in front of him. And he's saying, like, God, I don't have a child. But God's looking at the heart. And God's telling him, trust me. And the narrator of this story, which, by the way, is Moses, writes the book of Genesis. The narrator of this story lets us in on something about Abram. He lets us into his heart, and he reveals the fact that Abram does not yet fully trust God. He's left his home. He's been obedient, but he still doesn't quite trust God. 
And so God's going to deal with that. Next week, verse 4. And God says to him, this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Trust me, Abram. He brought him outside and said, Abram, look towards the heavens. Number the stars. If you're able to, like, can you count the stars, Abram? Then he said, hey, as many as the stars, so shall be your offspring. Trust me, Abram. Verse 6, and he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteous. That is a great line. Abram finally looks at this promise like, okay, God, I believe you. Now it's, it's in his head. He still doesn't completely trust. You'll learn that. But Abram believing this promise, and here's what God says, Abram, because you believe, you are declared righteous. God has just declared Abraham his past sins, his present sins, and all of his future sins. God has just declared them wiped out. He is counted righteous. He's not a great man of faith. He's going to mess up a lot. But God said, I will count you righteous. He will still struggle to trust God. And for you today, God would invite you. He would call you. Say, I want to call you from your own life, from a life of trying to earn your own way to get to me. I'm going to call you to trust me and to trust that Jesus is what makes you right with me, not your good behavior. I'm going to call you to believe in that and to trust that and to rest in that. In, in John chapter 6, Jesus is teaching these people come to Jesus and they say, hey, what do we need to do to do what God wants us to do? And Jesus doesn't give them a list of things, go to church, read your Bible. Here's what he says. This is the work of God that you believe in him who was sent. And not just to believe in the intellectual, oh, I believe in Jesus. Here's the deal, Satan believes in Jesus. But to believe in a, as a trust in a resting in. And here's what I know. And remember, we're Bible Belt, Missouri. You're at church this morning. Many of you don't believe in Jesus. Oh, oh yes, I do. I'm here. We just sang songs about him. I believe in Jesus. Intellectually, you believe in Jesus. But, but to, to believe is to rest and to trust in. And the gospel says, rest or trust in Jesus' work on the cross for righteousness, to make you right with God, not your own work. But many of you have yet to believe in Jesus because you are still trying to do your own work to somehow measure up to God. To believe is to rest and to trust in. And some of you are still trying to accomplish your own righteousness. And God would look at you and say, are you done yet? Are you exhausted yet? You, try, you sick of trying to carry that weight? Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. For my yoke, my teaching is easy. My burden is light because it's not built on you. Well, it's a great story of Abram. We're going to see his story more in the week. But here's what we need to know. At the end of the day, this isn't a story about Abraham. It's a story about God. A God who is unwavering, a God who's steadfast, a God who's long-suffering. And one day, 
Just as God would tell Abram to leave his home and go to a land I will show you, one day God would tell someone else to leave his home. And that person would be himself, Jesus. And that person would leave his home to a land that was foreign and he would take on the flesh of humans to bring them to God. He would leave just like Abram. And like Abram, this servant would be obedient, even be obedient to the point of death and death on a cross. And through this servant's obedience, God would gain for himself a new people, a new nation, a people of his own possession through this servant that would leave his home and come to you. See, this isn't a story about Abraham. It's a story about Jesus. Jesus is a better Abraham. 